Well, it's, really, it's a real blessing to be able to come up here and uh, give a message. I haven't done many of these, but uh, it is always challenging to have a message. So, I want to get to my one verse before I start. Today's sermon is a very challenging sermon. The sermon is not only directed to everyone here, but it's also directed to myself as well. From the end of last year and the beginning of this year, there have been many challenges, both for Vasha and myself. The burdens of this world and the things of this world have got heavier and heavier. And it was harder and harder to do the things of the Lord. It was really amazing how the, the devil orchestrated all these things to hinder us in our spiritual growth and our development. I know that my wife and I are not the only one that have gone through the struggles this year. It is only through God's grace and many prayers from both brothers and sisters who are in the Lord that has helped us through these difficult times. It is also amazing how an encouraging word from the Bible or from a brother or a sister can suddenly put things back into correct perspective and then lift one's spirits up and praise the Lord so we could always praise the Lord for all his goodness and his grace. The verse I want to read from um, is in Psalm chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. And this came back again to light when, when I was involved in an accident on, on Friday. I was on my way home and I was sitting at the traffic circle. And I was stationary and I had a car in front of me. And all of a sudden... Four cars behind me were involved in accidents. There was a young, young um, guy who was driving a car. He crashed into his girlfriend in front of him, who then crashed into another car, who then crashed into another car, who crashed into me. And it was amazing that uh, that is a 100, 100 kilometer stretch of, of, of road. And the guy hit with quite a lot of force because all, all four cars besides mine were, had to be towed away and hit into the back of my car. So I praise the Lord that he protected me there again. And we, we sometimes take it for granted, some of the things that, the, the, how the Lord protects us. So the verse I'd like to just read, the first part is verses 1 to 3. I'll love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my, and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. And when I also look at that as well, how the Lord is working out items at work as well, it's just really amazing how that verse really is a real blessing to me. These trying times that we've been going through the past year have got me to think as to what really is important. And Pastor Frank highlighted the same thing in the uh, communion times. And I was just thinking while I was sitting there, how Pastor Frank was, was, was talking about these things, how the Lord has really prepared this message at the right time, I believe. Now this message is really challenging. Um, so, these trying times, as I said, really gets us to think what, what really matters. If I ask a group of people what was the most important thing to them in the world 
was, there would be a large number of different answers that you'd hear. Some will say their husband, or some will say their wives. Some will say their car, their high-priced high, high car. Or others might actually think it's their job, and they can have, have no other focus except on their work. Others will say their house, etc., etc. The, the list could just go on forever. But if we really looked at that question, and we say, what is actually the most important thing in this world? There's only one answer. Right? And that answer is salvation. There's nothing more important than that. Nothing is more important than salvation. I have a question. Husbands, when you leave home, what do you normally do? I hope everyone would say, you kiss your wife goodbye and say, I love you, and go home, and go off to work or go wherever. The other thing as well is when families leave, say now we go and separate from each other for a long period of time, like someone will go overseas for six months or so, and we're at the airport. What do we normally do? We say we love you, and we say, you know, we say the very most important things that we, we want to say to them, because we're not going to see them for a very long time. We tend to say, at times of separation, things that are important to us, to, our, to our, our, our spouses, our family, our friends, because we know that we won't see them for a while. That's what we do as well. But I also put it to you that the Lord Jesus did the same thing. So, can we just turn to Mark chapter 16? And I'd like to say, suggest that the Lord did the same thing to us. If we read Mark chapter 16, from verse 15 to 20. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not, shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat at the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. I believe that Jesus gave the most important message to believers before he left. He told us to go and preach the gospel. Jesus knew that he would not return to earth for over 2,000 years. And the last message he told us to do was to share the good news. We are, go we are commanded to go into the world to share the gospel. And I believe this is the most important thing which a Christian, which a believer, must do. If we look at verse 15, it says, Jesus says, go and preach. He doesn't say, oh, well, let's just turn to Matthew chapter 28 as well. Let's turn back a few, few pages. 
Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, therefore, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Another part is if we look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And if you read from Acts chapter 1, from verse 4. Uh, should we just read from verse 7? It said, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put into his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. From Matthew, Christ again said, go and teach. Nowhere in these portions of scripture is there, any give, is there given any option. It does not say, if you feel like it, go and preach. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that if you have a convenient time, that you should go and preach. It doesn't say that. It does not say, if you have free time from work, go and teach. It says, go and preach. Matthew says, go and teach. The question we have to ask each and every one of ourselves is, have you been obedient to the Savior? In this country, at the moment, we have a lot of religious freedom. We can meet freely. We can sing hymns freely. We can have the Lord's Supper freely, like we did today. These commandments of the Lord, we can easily obey. But we have to ask ourselves as believers important questions. Do we come to the church just out of obligation to be seen of men? Or do we come because of the love and obedience to the Lord? If the service goes longer than normal, do you start looking at your watch, asking yourself, what time is the service going to end? Do you have other important things to do after church? Do you enjoy the fellowship of other believers after the service? Or are you in a rush to go somewhere else? I can't see your hearts. I can't see your motives. But Jesus cares. He sees all. He knows all. I know myself. I've been guilty of this as well. Times we have to rush off and have planned a lot of things after church. But recently, the Lord has been really good to me. He has allowed me to read some, of, some, some books about churches behind the Iron Curtain, behind the Bamboo Curtain. And it really brings tears to your eyes of what brothers and sisters have to go through and what we take for granted. And an example of this was related in one of the books I was reading about an underground church in Bulgaria. There were 12 people in the, in, in the assembly and it took them over an hour just to assemble together. They couldn't come all in a group because it's illegal in the communist country to assemble, have a group meeting. So people had to come in at intervals at a time, two at a time, 
until they could actually assemble together to get uh, in the sort of meeting. And it took them over an hour to get together. The meeting room was dark. It was at night. And the curtains, they had, had blankets all over the windows. And they had one small dim light in the room. So that no one could see in. And they only had enough light so they could see each other. Everyone was gathered together for a silent prayer. The message was delivered in a very low voice so that no one outside the windows could hear. There were no Bibles. And if, if some of the churches were blessed, they may have only portions of Scripture. And those that are really blessed would have one Bible for the whole church. There were no hymn singing, as that would betray that a meeting was being held. After the service, it takes them just as long to leave church so that they wouldn't be caught. The people leave at intervals. And the consequence of being caught for, for attending a church would be years' imprisonment, beating, <coughs> solitary and confinement underground. Well, not for days, but for years. I listened to a sermon of one of the uh, pastors that was kept in, preaching, uh, in, in prison. And he was kept underground in solitary confinement for 14 years. And it's not an isolated situation. And it was only for, and he, was, he said in his sermon that he was fortunate because it was, he wasn't there as long as some of the others. That was the same pastor I told you who prayed that he could have a prison ministry. And through his, he was in the underground um, solitary confinement prison. He, the Lord was so good to him that you couldn't hear through the walls, so they communicated with their next-door neighbor by Morse code. And that through him, the guy next door got saved through Morse code in solitary confinement. This is what our brothers <clears throat> and our sisters are going through. And we don't appreciate what we have. Yet, these believers meet every Sunday. There were no excuses for them. Nothing was more important to them than meeting for the Lord. <clears throat> this past year, I've been guilty in not putting the Lord first. The Lord has been getting me to read these wonderful books, to see the privilege that I have in meeting freely to worship Him, to sing, sing hymns to Him, to learn more and more about Him, without fear and without persecution and hindrance. We can only praise His holy name. <clears throat> it's amazing when you read some of these missionary books and the conditions that the persecuted church is in and is operating under. There's such a shortage of Bibles, yet the believers love the Word of God. There are pastors that don't even have a Bible and have to preach messages from memory. Some churches had one Bible and different members would take small portions home to read. Others would try and write out the scriptures by hand so they would have two copies for the church. These churches and believers valued the Bibles more than gold and precious stones. We've got to ask ourselves, what about us? What about you? What about me? 
do we value God's word more than life? How much of the Bible do you read every day? Do you read five minutes, ten minutes, one hour, two hours? Or do you even read the Bible every day? We can watch a movie for two hours every day, but we struggle to read God's word for five minutes. Can we turn to Revelation chapter 3? I've got three C's. I haven't preached this way before, but there's three C's in this passage of Scripture, which um, I'd like to read. Can we read Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 17? And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things saith the Lord, uh, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. The first thing is condition. Does this not sound like us today? Are we not lukewarm? Are the churches of Christ not lukewarm today? Do we not have a do we have a passion to share the gospel message? Are we just willing just to sit there and wait if someone approaches us and then maybe we'll share the gospel message? There are many Christians in our Christians in our congregation today. Ask, us, ask yourself this question. How long have you been saved? Have you been saved for one day? One year? Two years? Five years? Ten years? Next question you ask, ask yourself is, when last did you share the gospel message with someone? When have you handed out a tract to someone? How long ago was that? Was that one day? Was that one year? Was that five years? Was that ten years? I'm just as guilty as everyone else. It was really a blessing the other day during prayer time, prayer and praise time, when Brother Eddie mentioned about a new believer called BJ, who after being saved, he was sharing the gospel message in the pub while his dad was was drinking, a young believer. Where is that passion that you had when you first got saved? I remember myself when I was first saved. I couldn't help but share the gospel message. I was telling all my friends about it, telling my family, family members, everyone I was trying to tell about the good news. Where is that passion gone? Turn back to Revelation 3 and verse 17. My second C is cause. 3 verse 17 Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable and poor and blind and naked 
I believe the answer lies here. Our focus has been taken off Jesus and has been placed on the things of this world. Our focus has, been more, uh, has become more and more on the accumulation of items and things. The newest flat screen TV, the latest smartphone or tablet, building a retirement portfolio, having enough in the bank to be self-sufficient, going to bed late because we're watching a TV or a DVD, maybe even surfing the net. We don't really need anything. All our needs seem to be met by everything we accumulate here on earth, our joy, our happiness. We've been gathering riches of the earth, but they're only temporary riches. These rob us of all our time. The television, DVD, internet, going out partying, all robs us of our time. And all this time that is wasted on earthly goods can never, never be recovered. Time marches on and it waits for no man and it waits for no woman either. What eternal riches will you have when you reach heaven? Why do churches and Christians try to put all this all the faith on the things of this world, building large deposits or cash in the bank or investing in houses, shares, cars, etc. Why do we do that? Is there any security in all these things? If we had a million dollars in the bank, is there security in that? No, there isn't. There's no security in any of these things of this world. If the central bank starts printing more and more money, what is that money that's going to be worth to you? It happened in World War II. The, the German currency devalued so quickly that you had to go with wheelbarrows to buy a loaf of bread. And that can happen like that in an instant. The, the British pound has been devalued. The American dollar has lost 30%, over 30% against the Australian dollar. And that can happen in an instant. I believe that the reasons that Christians and churches do this is that they don't have a correct relationship with God. We've got to ask ourselves this question. Is God not trustworthy? Can we not trust God? If you answer no, then you've got to ask yourself then, how can God save me? Can we trust God with our eternal salvation and not trust Him for our daily needs? Is this not the same God who said he would never leave us nor forsake us? Is this not the same God that says he'll promise to supply all our needs? Then why then do we try to take comfort with 20, 30, 100, 50, thousand dollars in the bank in case such and such happens? Go ask yourself, what is your relationship with Christ today? Because if you have a very close relationship with him, he will always supply your needs. You have that faith and your trust in Him. My third C is correction, which is um, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shames of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, 
that thou mayest see. I believe this verse gives us a guide on how to correct this condition. We need to buy gold tried in fire. We ask ourselves, what does this practically mean? I believe that Faith Baptist Church can do a lot. And each one of us can do a lot. I hope that everyone believe, agrees with me here that salvation of the lost is the most important thing that is what we should be focusing on. If salvation is the most important thing, if we believe that salvation of everyone, our lost and our families, is the most important, then we should be sending missionaries throughout the world. We are really blessed with this church that we have Annabeth Wibble, who have gone gone from this church to translate the Bible. That is a real blessing for this church. And the question we ask ask ourselves is, should we not support her? We, we should support her spiritually, yes. We should by prayer. But should we also support her financially? Should we not meet 50, 60% of, or more of her financial needs? Would that not be an excellent investment? Through, through the work that she may be doing, maybe 10 people, maybe 100 people, maybe 1,000 people may be saved. The work will continue long after we're dead if the Lord tarries. The Bible will continue to be there in that language, and more and more people will read there. Is that not a wise investment? What about the missionaries who come looking for support throughout doors? If we cannot send someone ourselves, then we should support those that go to those areas. If saving souls is paramount, if obedience to the Great Commission is expected, then our outreach and, outreach and missionary expenses from the tithes should be 50, 60, 70%, not 5, 10%. Thousands should be, will be reached with the good news, and we, and we, would, have brought, we would have bought gold tried by the fire. What about each member of this church? We need ISOL. We need to see clearly what is happening around us. Family, friends, neighbors, work colleagues are all passing away without the knowledge of the Savior, without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to see the need in our own backyard. Young Christians need to grow in the Lord. They need to be strong soldiers of Christ. There will be a discipleship session which will be starting pretty soon. And I would suggest that all those who are young Christians who, who want to strengthen their faith and the resolve to be a good witness for Christ, that they should attend that. You need to take time out to learn more about your Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to grow strong. You need to be a strong soldier for Christ. What about the cold and lukewarm Christians? Turn back to James. James chapter 2. Verse 17 and 18. It says here, James chapter 2 verse 17 says, Even so, Uh, 17 says, even so, 
Faith, if it hath not, not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man say, may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I'll show thee my faith by my works. James tells us that faith without works is dead. This has nothing to do with your salvation, but more what to do with your relationship sanctification. Cold and lukewarm Christians tend to be miserable inside. They know that they are not fully satisfied by the things of the world. And they also know they are not in a perfect relationship with God. They have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. If we go back to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 16. we just read back 16. It says, So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I was thinking about this, this point. Why would the Lord vomit those lukewarm Christians out? And I had an analogy that I was thinking about. It says, when you look at someone who's drinking a lot of alcohol, they continue drinking, and after a while, they get violently ill, and they vomit out all the alcohol. Why does that happen? Alcohol is a poison. And when it gets to a certain level in the blood, in the in your body, your body can't handle it. And the best way for your body to do it is to, to vomit it out so that it doesn't continue poisoning you. I believe that's the same with church, with lukewarm Christians. They are actually a poison, slow, a poison that slowly incapacitates the church of Christ. And Christ would prefer it that they were either 100% for him or 100% against him, not lukewarm. And that's why I believe Christ will vomit them out so that it doesn't poison the whole body of Christ. So what can we do as Christians to be on fire for the Lord? Turn back to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. And I, treat, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. We need to labor in the gospel. We need to share the good news. That's what, that is what Christ came to do, to save sinners, of which each and every one of us are. We're not worse sinners, we are sinners. We keep sinning. We may be saved, but we keep sinning. But we are sinners. Jesus came and died on the cross for you and for me. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the good news. That is the gospel message. We can labor by going out and handing out tracts 
whether it be in the city or in post box. We can invite people and friends and family to church so they can hear the gospel message. We can stand at, have, maybe have a stand at local events and hand out free gospel literature. These are some of the things that we can do to labor. Look at verse, um, chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith be content. Another thing we can do is that we can learn to be content wherever we are. Whatever situation that we're in, whatever the Lord has put us into, the people who are in prison, the one pastor there, who was in prison for so long that he actually forgot how to say the Our Father. And all he could remember was Our Father. That's it. He couldn't even remember the rest of the Our Father because he was in solitary confinement for so long. Yet he was still praising God during that time. And when he came out of there, he was praising God even more. There's always someone who's worse off than you are. And we should, whenever we start looking at times when we are unhappy, we should count our blessings. Every single blessing that you have. And you will never stop. You can, you can count the blessing of your good health, your good eyesight. You can count your blessing of work if you have one. You count the blessing that you have accommodation. There are many, many, many believers that don't have food that are starving, yet the Lord blesses us so abundantly. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We've got to believe that God can strengthen us to do all the things that He needs us to do. It's not through our own strength, not through our preaching, Nothing that we can do. We can't force people in. We can't reach the lost with our own strength. Only God's strength can reach the lost. God can work in their hearts of those people that we share the gospel with. We can pray for them. But God, we can preach, we can teach all we want to. But without God, we can achieve nothing. We need to trust that God will strengthen us and help us. Even times of struggle. God is always there. We can always turn to Him. As Pastor Frank says, how difficult it is for an unbeliever that doesn't have God to turn to in time of need. I find it was such a blessing through the trial that I went through with work and that I could always pray. And I know that fellow brothers and sisters were praying for me. It's such a blessing. It gives you that peace in your heart. It's amazing. Look at verse 19. It says, My God shall supply all your needs according to the riches to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Believe that God shall supply all our needs. This may be the hardest thing for some of us to do, but God has promised it in his word. One note on this verse it says that God shall supply all our needs according to his riches in glory. If we consider that the streets of heaven are paved with gold. How rich is God? And how much can He supply our needs? Think about it. 
we try and go and build up masses of fortunes and like Bill Gates and people like that have millions and billions in the bank. But that's, as Brother Allen said, that's street metal. God's got gold as streets, uh, as, as the, the, the streets. He can supply all our needs. I think we have to remember is that our primary purpose is to share the gospel. The question you've got to ask yourself is, are you saved? If you're not saved, and you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you need to do it today. You want to know the God who will supply all your needs. You need to know the God who will comfort you in your times of trouble. You need to know the God who can, you can lean on when you're in any, any crisis or trial. How difficult is it for someone to take the whole burden of the world on their shoulders? We know that the suicide rates among young people are, is increasing. Many people, we heard the other day during prayer time, that there was a young, young person who knew exactly what day, what time, they were going to commit suicide. They knew what they were going to do because they saw no hope. They saw no future. They never saw the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought that this was all that the world was, that there was no eternity. And it's really sad. And we really need to be able to get the message out there, especially to the young, that there is a God, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell. And a question we could ask ourselves is, if you may be sitting here, that if you're saved or not, there is definitely a heaven, there is definitely a hell. And the path lies before you of either choosing going to heaven or going to hell. If you sit on the fence and say, I will not make a decision, you've already made a decision. You've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. The verse that, that I quoted earlier, John chapter 3, verse 16, says, for, so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel message. If you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today, then you're going to a lost eternity. There is no hope for you. If you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus today, please speak to someone after the message. Speak to Pastor Frank or Brother Eddie or Brother Alan or myself. And we'll show you in the Bible how that you could be saved and you could have eternal life. And you can join all of us singing praises to God. Do you know that the Bible says that for every soul that is saved, the angels in heaven are singing praise and glory? That's amazing. Think about that. If you're not saved today, you can get angels to sing glory and praise to you, to God as well, that you've been saved. There's a hymn which I want to... I'll get Brother, I'll get, um, brother Don uh, to sing it, because I'll probably don't sing it as well as he does. Um, but I've got... Uh, I just want to read out the, the words of this hymn. It's 368. And I just want you guys to think about it. 
And I'll close, and I'll close with, this, with the word of this hymn. It says, the hymn's title is, Have I Done My Best for Jesus? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus, who died upon the cruel tree? To think of his great sacrifice at Calvary, I know my Lord expects the best from me. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chains I hope to free? I wonder, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus what he, when he has done so much for me? The hours that I have wasted are so many. The hours I have spent for Christ so few. Because of all my lack of love for Jesus, I wonder if his heart is breaking too. Verse 3 says, I wonder if I have cared enough for others. Or have I let them have I left them die alone? I might have helped a wanderer to the Saviour, the seed of precious life I might have sown. And verse 4 says, No longer will I stay within the valley. I'll climb to mountains high above. The world is dying now for want of someone to tell them of the Saviour's matchless love. How many are the lost? that I have lifted, how many are the chains I helped to free. I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me? Amen. Well, Brother Don will lead us in this song. <laughs>